Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Kiel, the show of Boston, moving to Houston, Texas, and so much more. Today we chat with Tyler J. Wang from El Tesoro. A few things about Tyler. One, it was his birthday yesterday, so this episode commemorates his existence, which is great. And secondly, I've had some really great moments with him since this chat. We spent some real nice quality time in Houston and I got to know even more about him but this chat is very revealing he's a very animated personable likable guy and that's all real that's not an act he may be an actor and into drama but this is all real stuff so without further ado I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Tyler J Wang from El Tesoro This is the first one back. I've been doing this Zoom thing and we talked about virtual and all that shit last night. And you were talking about how exhausting it is doing the Zoom stuff. Tell, like, just tell me, because there's a real good reason why. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's just uh, when you're doing anything virtually, it's a huge energy suck, right? Like one of the best parts about this role and and what you do over podcast, being able to actually talk to people yeah. is this like exchange of energy. And it's not like I'm not a big like crystal healer guy or anything yeah. but but i really do understand that when you're talking to someone in person working off what they're doing what they're talking about vibing off their energy like there's something that's so natural and organic about that right and it's probably the best part about getting to talk about tequila not only am i obviously passionate about what i do and the wonderful tequilas that carlos makes but it's about being able to be there with people and share that joy that I have for something with them and hopefully spark joy in them in some way. Yeah. And that is just something that doesn't happen when you're staring at a screen, you know? No, it doesn't. And it's the whole thing about being on stage. I always use that as a metaphor because yeah. I was playing music for a long time, but you've, you've got people that are watching you and they're interacting and there is an exchange of energy. And I'm going to ask you this question. And I think it's stupid, but I have this fucking 311 song in my head. But like, how do you, <laughs> I think I got blue energy. That's what I think. Like, yeah. That's kind of, and not blue as in I'm super sad and all that. It's just the color that's in my head. Sure. But do you have a color that can describe your enthusiasm and your energy? Yeah. I mean, I, there. Because <laughs> we were talking about synesthesia last night, right? Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. We were, we were. And the funny thing was, I believe, um, and again, I, I said I'm not like a crystal healer guy, but mm. I was definitely, uh, I felt more spiritual growing up. Mm. And there was a point when I was really young where I felt like I could I could see that sort of energy in people. Like mm. I would see I would see Mike and be like, oh yeah, he's got that kind of blue aura around mm -hmm. Um I think that me personally, it's probably changed and evolved over the years. Yeah. I think it used to be uh, a little more like, like purple and subdued. Yeah. I feel like a more vibrant green though. Oh, that's especially cool. right now. Like I feel, I feel alive and fresh and lively. Mm -hmm. Even after you know maybe the extended cocktail hour that we had last night, I'm feeling cocktail fresh hours, today. Yeah. Cocktail hours. Um, but yeah, there's something about like that fresh, green, vibrant 
And that's how I feel today. I like that. Well, and it does change too, right? Of course, and of it's really sunny out too, which is another thing. But you know, so here's here's the thing is like I've I've known you for a little while now, and I remember talking to Sheed when you were coming into the role, and he's like, you know, what do you think about this and this, and as the industry does, you know. But I I know very little about where you grew up. I, I know the San Diego bit, mm-hmm. but I, let's let's talk about that because I see a very rich tapestry of passions in you, right? <laughs> Although you know the one that you lead with is tequila, and that's what you're paid for. But going into San Diego, it, it feels like there was a bit of love for culinary arts too. Yeah. So so my life is is lived on the West Coast. Started on the West Coast. Really, you know, became fruitful, and I feel like I grew up on the East Coast yeah. through my twenties. I spent about ten years in Boston, uh, maybe twelve, twelve years in Boston. Um, but I went there initially for school. Mm-hmm. So you talk about uh, playing music, being mm-hmm. on stage. Um, I very much did that growing up. I come from a, a very performance-friendly family. Really? C- care to, what kind of arts? No, of course, just... of course. So um, if you go back far enough, uh-huh. right, my name is Tyler Wang. You uh-huh. look at me, Wang is probably not the last name you'd associate with with my face. Sure. Um, but my on my dad's side, my great-grandparents met in the Chinese traveling circus. No kidding. An Armenian opera singer and a trapeze artist met. Um, and then that name obviously passed on the paternal line. Um but there was a lot of those circus arts, performance arts that went down through there. Uh, my, obviously, great-grandfather as a trapeze artist and an opera singer, my great-grandmother. Yeah. Uh, his son was with him in the circus as, like, doing clown work for a long time. And obviously, as you might imagine, those circus families are, are somewhat interconnected. It's a, a small community sure. um, that all travels together. And then my dad did uh, ballet for a long time until no he, way. unfortunately, had an accident and broke his back. Um, fine now, but yeah. pretty easy way to end your ballet career. Um, on my mom's side, there were singers as well, barbershop quartets and everything, but people who, who've always loved this performance element. Wow. So as you can imagine, growing up, um, I did a lot of theater growing up. I, uh, did That's a lot of musical ask. theater. Yeah. So you're a singer too? Uh, once upon a time, maybe, uh, not nearly as good now as I used to be. Uh-huh. Can't quite hit the high notes anymore, but, um, it was certainly a huge, huge passion of mine growing up. So I went to school in Boston at the Boston Conservatory. That's what I was scouting. Yeah, yeah, okay. Which is now now part of Berkeley, which is amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, those two merged. Um, but so I, I moved there for musical theater, did a couple years in the school. And what I learned pretty quickly is the people at that sort of institution mm-hmm. are so in love with musical theater. Yeah. So in love with theater. And I liked it. It was one of those things that I did growing up and I enjoyed, uh, but it wasn't necessarily like the thing that I lived for. Did you have a thing that you lived for? Because it seems like we follow our passions and, you know, I suspect that I could make it in music, which was mm-hmm. a stupid thought when I was in my early 20s, <laughs> but pursued it pretty heavily. And then you realize that actually, I just love this other element. And that, is that kind of what happened? Because it, it was that maybe you loved people, but not the performance or not the practice. Well, yeah, it was, it, I mean, I, I love, I feel like yeah, this might be coming down. Sorry. Um, yeah, I... I loved the performing elements. I loved anything that gave me community, right? And that was the the great thing about theater for me is as I had my own little family, my own little crew in theater, um, but I wasn't one who was going to follow every show. Um, I, I didn't, you know, scan the, the Broadway castings regularly and care about that element. Right. Um, the, the more business side of theater, I just, I liked performing. I liked singing um, and I liked being part of a community. Sure. Um, 
but yeah, like you said, like the the dreams that people have of becoming a famous musician or becoming a famous uh, a famous Broadway uh, uh, actor, maybe never really sat there for me. And the people I could see in school with me were so incredibly passionate that I realized, like, I've got to find a way out of this. I have to find a way um, to take some of what I love in this, the community mm -hmm. and an element of the performance, but make it my own. And I actually really found that behind a bar. Interesting. Essentially, like you said before, you have your own stage, yeah. but you're not reading someone else's script. You can actually be yourself and write your own play, if you will, in your own from character, behind the bar, in right? your own character. Did you have any, because I love film and Broadway and all of that. Do you have any folks that you really looked up to? You appreciate their style and their timber and all of that? Yeah. Um, I was really passionate um, about performers like um, like Norbert Leo Butts. Um, I love, um, oh, what's his name? Brian, oh gosh. Oh, he was Dennehy? Which I love him as a Broadway actor, yeah. And Great. Actor, yeah. I was thinking uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell, actually. Oh, okay, actually. Okay. Um, but probably someone that, that I really loved is Raul Esparza. Probably someone that I followed more than anything else. Because especially in like, I think really displayed in Company mm -hmm. when he did on Broadway, and I believe won a Tony for Company. Um, just this really raw, um, emotional kind of display of, of humanity, which I really, really loved. Do you, do you fancy yourself that vulnerable? just in general because the good thing about acting is it's acting it is acting right and so sometimes it, it, not with you necessarily but it, it can you can be disingenuous because you've you really don't want to reveal that but did you find that acting made it easier for you to hide you because you've got a character or that is more you acting was a way for me to to put all the stuff that i suspected or all, all the things that i felt like out mm -hmm. for the world to see right it got was it. a place to be vulnerable um, and one of the things that I, I pride myself on now as, as hopefully, you know, not a finished person, but like a, a more, a more well-rounded human mm -hmm. is that I feel much more able to express myself in what I do. That's um, great. and I feel really great being able to, like I said, kind of share the things that I'm passionate about and talk about them. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it is probably what makes me, you know, okay at my job, pretty good at my job is that, um, when I when there's something I really really care about, and I want to convey that and share it, like I don't have to put up any sort of performance. Mm -hmm. I can just speak from the heart and talk about you know the elements, whether it's whether it is tequila or just the things in my life that I love. Like I can speak about them passionately and and not feel like I need to follow a script or anything. Right, which because it's you know it's easy. I've, I meet a lot of brand ambassadors, and I hear them saying the same things. And it's hard to become fresh. Do you, to use an acting term, but you, you've you been doing so much education, so many happy hours and all that. But how do you not become typecast in your role? How do you keep fresh? Interesting. That's a great question. Um, for me, I would say that it's about that energy exchange, to be honest. Yeah. It's about being able to feel and read the space you're in. It's about... Um, the people who you're with and you know the great thing about so last night we were less almost wrote us right mm -hmm. the great thing about that staff is some of them are really really you know ingrained in the in the agave world already and know so much about those spirits and some fresh faces as well so when i got to talk to them i had an hour with the staff which is such a luxury oh, great, yeah. um especially again being able to do it in person such a luxury now yeah um but getting to kind of go all the way in on 
the the Camarena legacy and the legacy of El Tesoro through the founders with the Dentons and Don Felipe, um, and the history of them as a, uh, the Camarenas as Agaveros first. Mm-hmm. Um, so really get nerdy about some of that stuff that I think is really interesting. And then of course cover the the brand basics that everyone needs to know. So with a group like that to really explore the various textures around the educational component, yeah. um, that that's probably the most exciting part. And again, like you said, when you're doing this all the time, very much going back to Zoom where you've got, okay, you're 15 minutes on screen right? Yeah. and no one's gonna talk to you. No one's really gonna ask questions. Maybe they'll email you later. It just doesn't happen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you get through that same spiel of like, okay, it is this and this and this and this. 100% of Seiko and Agave harvested, roasted, distilled to proof by a you know community of tequila artisans led by master distiller Carlos Camarena. Right. And you just keep saying those bam, words. Bam, yeah, right, right. Uh, until hopefully it, it strikes in someone's mind. Um, but that's where the kind of monotony of of Zoom takes over. Yeah. Um, and it's really much, and, and it really is just putting yourself out there, all of the energy you have pushing that so something comes through over the camera that would no, otherwise be shared it's hard right like i know this uh, you know this is a good thing about gravity tyler and you can, <laughs> you can stick around here a little, you got yeah you just tighten it right there but yeah the because <laughs> the mics they just droop these are heavy like condenser mics sure you know? so you you get it but yeah it's one of those things that it you have to manufacture passion mm-hmm. in zoom exactly you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it's the thing is kind of interesting is you upped your your lighting game and you the way that the it's framed and I saw you get that bar. <laughs> the theater part of me is definitely coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew that you took those intentional steps you know, to make it a little more nuanced and a little more high production value, you know. Um, but it, given this is, you know, COVID and, and shutdown been going on for, let's just call it a year, did you ever think of that this, it was so exhausting being so superficial because you have to be, did it ever occur to you that the, this is maybe not the right role for you or was it, just understanding that this era in the history of mankind is just simply going to be a fucking pain in the ass. Uh, very much so the latter. It's, yeah. it's, I feel so very fortunate to be able to do this for a job. Um, you know, we, I think we talked about it a little bit last night um, as I was kind of bopping through groups, but I started working with El Tesoro 10 or so years ago as mm-hmm. a bartender first um, and fell absolutely in love with the brand. And I set a goal. I said, look, I get to see what some of the other amazing brand ambassadors uh, have done, have come to, you know, have come to drink before yeah. and done with um, with brands. Um, and I get to see the way that they they touch people and, and instill this passion in them. Um, if I'm ever going to do that, it's got to be for a brand that I really, really love. Uh, and El Tesoro was that, was that tequila so, so long ago. So I was able to set a goal for myself and say, hey, I, I want to do this for this company. Um, you know, fast forward 10 years and whether it's doing low-key El Tesoro work in, in Boston, doing the sales part for a minute just so I, you know, had an in with the brand and then finally getting here now. So it's... it's How, how long has that journey been, roughly? Because you said 10 years ago you started using the repo, I mean, I repo, set I that think. goal um, as soon as I saw like the first brand ambassador at drink mm-hmm. um which was probably uh todd what's what is todd's last name uh he was with chartreuse at the time oh gosh it's gonna escape me i feel so bad um 
it'll come to me in a minute. But he was with Chartreuse at the time. I believe he's with Diageo now. Mm. Um, it's not Richmond, is it? Richmond. Yeah. Richmond. Okay. Cool. And yeah. yeah, he was there. He was telling us about Chartreuse, telling the story of the monks, and that storytelling element. Like I said, being able to you know make your own script in a way. Um, that storytelling element was just so compelling to me that I I kind of set that goal for me. And I loved at that point. I, I loved the idea of being able to convey all the stuff that I had learned behind the bar and loved about the bar, um, but wrap in more of that performance and wrap in more of that. Performance is really the wrong word for it, too. It, it is, right? But I, I get what you're saying because there's, there, there's a way to... Language is important to me. Myself as well, yeah. yeah and I can tell because your elocution's good. The use of um and us is, is minimal, <laughs> and that's intentional. And, and so in a sense, it's... It isn't performance, but it is a perf it, it is some kind of production because you get the mustache. I don't know if that was an aesthetic choice for the <laughs> brand, but the, the glasses, which I know you, you could take them or leave them. But there, but there are these elements that you're building a set, you know, and I know they're intentional. Yeah, it's true. Um, and it's, it's funny. It's funny and interesting to be called out for it um, because it very much is that idea of you know, you are in a way building a character, but really more refining refining who you are in in a way that fits, you know, in a way that, that speaks to not only the brand, but like the way that I want to be seen. It's it's that's really interesting actually. So I can do what I want to do. Sure. <laughs> Which is nice, right? And any visual aesthetic, unfortunately, and at least uh, before pre-COVID and stuff, it was just I was just whatever I looked. However, the fuck I was gonna look, right? But now it's you a little great. more. Well, th thanks. But now I'm taking more effort to kind of have a visual brand, a little more buttoned up, higher to fade, and all that stuff. But you you do arrive at it some place, and there is something you want people to think about you. Mm -hmm. And given that you have crafted this way about yourself, what are some things you want? people to be impressed not impressed with but what are some impressions you want to leave with the people that you educate yeah so um it really does all revolve around passion so i want if if i walk away from a space and those people go like wow he was really excited tell us that i feel like i absorbed a lot because he was passionate about it yeah that is the ultimate end goal for me um beyond that i would like them to see me as someone who is obviously approachable someone who, if they do have a question, they can reach out to afterwards and get more information from, um, someone that, who they hopefully want back in their space. So so yeah. all of that kind of approachability is important. Um, my hope generally when I do trainings or conversations is to weave in the fact that like, I, I did bartend for a very long time yeah, and run bars. Right. Um, so I'm not just coming to you from a, a bulldog sales perspective of like, hey, you need to buy this, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I want... I want them to know that I'm there on their side. I'm just I'm just one of them that has gone in this direction rather than the other. Right. Um and that's that's really has a lot to do with the man of the people. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Um which I get. Is it is it ever hard to navigate again and going back to I don't have any maybe I should, but I don't have any marketing agencies. I don't have any bosses saying, Mike, you really shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I, and, but that's good. And I like that, that freedom. Of course. And I know I'm always on mic, so you'll never hear me say something unsavory unless we're, we're drinking. But in yep. my heart, I'm not unsavory. Yes. Maybe a little bit of a punk ass sometimes. But <laughs> do you find it hard to fit you into 
the confines of a corporate role? Does it ever get challenging to bite your tongue or does it ever get challenging to go off mic? Generally, no. Have I slipped up before? Sure. Yeah. Um, that usually revolves around something that, that's more of like an intimate personal matter that might get brought up where it's like, this is something I don't want to talk about, something you know that I don't think should be discussed. So I've slipped up. Interesting. Um, and that's that's more to do with just trying to shut down other conversations. Is it in the realm of agave and stuff, or is it other stuff? A little no, more that's personal? like if if it when things get personal or political in a way where like I don't think this is something that should be talked about in this setting. Yeah. Um, that's where I might be more likely to say something inappropriate, and just like just shut it down. Yeah, I see. Um, but when it comes to how I how I, I work and how I speak, like you said, always being on mic. Yeah. There is an element there of, because I come from hospitality where it's all about taking care of people and making sure that you're presenting the right thing, that that you are there and a parent, um, taking care of them and also able to slip away. My base in the way that I think the, my mindset is always hospitality first. So yeah. whether it's as simple as making sure their water glass is filled before mine or, um, making sure that you know i'm there to enrich their experience sure that's usually what i'm thinking of as i'm coming up with well, i guess as i'm coming up with conversation which sure, is not like sure. obviously not like it's scripted no but it's but it's, a, it's a dynamic it's a, the lens yeah the, yeah, the, dynamic, it, the lens from which i which i speak and the lens from which i uh, i i converse with people yeah I no i get it i totally know what you're saying you know it was the other day i saw we, we bring up sheed because he's a good mate of both of ours and he's known him quite some time now and he said you know what i always admired about you and i'm like ah oh, shit here we go <laughs> uh, but it, but it, you know it, i'm okay with people telling me good things and compliments and stuff sure. but i'm not really that okay with it it's i'm a little yeah, thank you that's that's very nice of you thank you right okay can we stop now like... <laughs> <laughs> but he so he said he said you know you just have this ability to listen mm-hmm that when I talk to you, Hito, huh? that you really are hearing me. And that's my lens. Yeah. And it's a lens of observation. It's almost like the absence of action. Yeah. I have no narrative. It's really about the other person. And it sounds, in some sense, we're kind of similar like that, about servitude. Exactly. There's a, there's a funny part of my life for a while um, when I was probably... I think it was 17 to 20, let's say, in that range. Mm. Uh, I got involved with the uh, the SCA, the Society for Creative Anachronism. Uh-oh. After doing, again, I was in musical <laughs> theater. I did a performance of Camelot. Nice. The, the fight instructor who was like teaching us how to actually use the real swords on stage, uh, he got me into this. Cool. It was very cool. Um, and one of the things that I did with him, I, I kind of became, he was became one of my early mentors, um, was I would go from space to space, whether it was a school or a business, and we would do seminars on modern day chivalry. Interesting. Which was Tell me one more. of the most foundational elements and probably probably this this idea of servitude that I have. And again, it's not it's not opening the door necessarily. It's not, you know, not holding people's bags. It's an element of putting people before you to care for them, protect them without being, you know, without being in their way, yeah. but caring for others before yourself. The the big theme of that, there's there's two that I really attach to. One was that the sword has two sides. Mm-hmm. The you know the medieval sword, the, the the European sword generally had two sides. 
one that faced the enemy, but the other one that was always facing you. So anything that you would do to someone else, you had to be aware would come back to you in some right, way. Right, right. The other one was the lance. Um, the lance, long, straight, and true about being honest, about you know holding yourself to a standard. Mm. Because if you have a crooked lance, you can't hit your target. Interesting. So uh, through all of that, part of the SCA is making your own coat of arms, and you you do make up very much your own entity in the SCA. You have your own you know uh, your own name. Yeah. Um, it's all very silly. Um, well, maybe not. Well, it's, it's not. It's really not silly. It's actually it's it's a very rich culture. It's a very rich group of people mm -hmm. um, that get to be involved in something that I think make take them away from their everyday life. You know, the humdrum um of a of an office job where you're just typing up reports all day long right to have that rich culture and community once again i feel like it's keep coming back to community um that you come home to and you have this whole set of this whole new life yeah um that is so rich and to enjoy so one of the things that came from that is the coat of arms so i have my own coat of arms it's a lance um so my first tattoo was that lance uh-huh and uh, a J and an L. And that is because in my mind, my credo at the time, again, this is like 20 years old, uh -huh. was, was just love. So start from a place of love, start from a place of um, being there for other people mm. and being open and, um, you know, a place of caring. Really. Yeah, for sure. All right. So this, I, I'm glad to hear you say this. I read something and I, and I try not to use the word horoscope much. <laughs> It's a dirty word, a dirty little word, right? But I saw, I was reading my horoscope the other day. What is your sign? I'm an Aquarius. Aquarius. Yeah, so super, super chill. I think that's also a water sign. I'm, I'm a Cancer, so okay. so that, maybe that's why we're so, we're it's flowing in the same direction. Flowing, man. for sure, right? <laughs> and actually, well, yeah. So, in, believe me, there will be a question that you surmise from this. Heard, heard, heard. But it said, don't be a service animal. And I had never... I've got this Superman complex thing. <laughs> I've tried to take care of my partners to an yep. unwilling extent. And actually, she brought that up the other day, yep. too. It's like, you put in a lot, but you didn't get as much back as you put in. Like, thanks, she. You know, thanks for all the realisms, right? <laughs> but but it, that's something that I find that I can go too far because chivalry is, in a sense, that. Yep. Helping others. But there is reciprocity at some point with no expectation of it. Sure. But, so, but for you, do you feel you give ultimately more than you get back that is sometimes the case much honestly we can sit here and 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 wax poetic about rashid any any time i think <laughs> we can do that all day but it is something that i think i really admire about him in the same way is that um same thing with with tony who i told you i drinks with after the blood sacrifice last night that's um, right yeah <laughs> <laughs> um we're gonna just keep re referring to it and never yeah, tell never, anybody. No, about we're not. We're not. We're definitely not gonna. <laughs> there fill, was in fill fact out that a blood story, sacrifice. There was a blood sacrifice. I felt like I was in a fucking eighties <laughs> punk movie. It was great. Anyways, um, but those people who, especially in this world where it is often about me, 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 mm. we. I think we talked a little bit about the competitive nature of of some of the cocktail bars that we've worked in before, where it's all about putting, you know. How do I make sure that my cocktails get seen? People see me there. Mm -hmm. And the same way that there's that me, me, me on stage, sure. I want to be the star of the show. The people in your life who do give back and enrich you in the same amount that, that you feel like you give to them are really important. And they're probably what, what kind of refill my tank, if you will, mm -hmm. when it comes to 
what can sometimes be pretty, you know, uh, um, skin deep relationships as as I travel the country. Yeah. But those people in each in each city, those friends that I found that are that will again kind of like I said fill up my tank, listen and be there to listen and and so that I can be there for them as well. Um, that really enriches being able to travel and being able to do all this. Yeah. Well, and you don't forget those folks. Of course. Because as you get older, there's fewer and fewer of them that actually truly are listening. I want to talk about this in a different context. I got, you know, I run this agave group and community, community, community. Mm -hmm. It's probably one of the ways that I met you, but just in the larger hospitality community. But I've interfaced with so many people from throughout Mexico. To me, it's well beyond Oaxaca. Yeah. I'm, I'm not almost as interested in that anymore. I, I want to talk more about Sonora and uh, Chihuahua and stuff. But this chivalry or this sense of uh, conquistador. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what I realized is I'm trying to save people that never asked me to save them. And by this, I mean Mexico obviously needs our help. And that's absolutely not true. Well, you mentioned the superhero complex, the, the Superman complex, which I've definitely battled myself as well. But yeah, it, I mean, I don't mean to, to, to no, take over no. your, your side, but but I, I understand what you're saying as someone who, I want to elevate this so everyone can see it. Right. But I mean, talk about a, a very white guy with a Chinese last name representing the, one of the most authentic Mexican tequila brands, like Mexican brands. Yep historic brands and of course there's there's not only that sort of like um what do you call it you call um not the superhero complex but the uh i feel fake it feels um oh, imposter syndrome. the imposter syndrome of am i really doing this justice yeah am i the right one to be having this conversation and that's that's always creeps into everything i do as well when you're talking about being careful with language a lot of you know what I think about is how do I make sure that I am doing this justice mm-hmm. without trying to say that I, Tyler Wang, should be the person who is exposing the world of Mexico. Like I just, right? That- I'm not. But if I can guide you to someone who is a better ambassador, who is a better advocate for the people of Mexico, if I can help just make a connection, mm-hmm. then I feel like I'm I'm probably on the right path. I, I think so too. And luckily, I haven't suffered much criticism for my love and information and the way i'm trying to help people understand different kinds of desolate yeah in mexico i haven't suffered much from that um which is nice but i have dedicated i mean over six years to all of mexico this is the thing i must emphasize it's exactly like, yeah some people are like oh i'm a, they wouldn't necessarily say it but they have this air about them that i'm a mezcal expert and I'm like, no, unless you went to San Luis Potosí, to Sonora, like all of the places, Puebla, because it's such a rich place and there is no singular Mexican community. You know, it's really, really strange. But all right, so what, what I was really driving at is I, I had a call yesterday from my mate. And we're, he works for a mezcal brand and this particular mezcal brand doesn't have the producer on the bottle. Okay. Which, I, like, who cares? I don't care. <laughs> as long as you tell me who it is, if I ask you, exactly. that's what, and that's sure, what I sure. told him. But he suffered a bit of criticism for it. He says, yes, but all this hard work, right? An American saying that about it, uh, someone in Oaxaca. And it made me realize, and this in a form of question is, do you see, to be perfectly frank, white Americans saying what tradition is in agave spirits? So basically they're saying, 
oh, this person, it's not traditional to ferment in plastic. And it's like, well, if you're in Puebla, it sure as fuck is around certain places. Do you yeah. see this more and more that somehow we, the Norteños, are pushing <laughs> what tradition should be? Uh, you will experience armchair experts in every walk of life, right? Yeah. Everything from, we're talking about the decor in this space. That's like, right, yeah. could be a well-traveled person, could be someone who spent a few, a few grand at Pier 1. Yeah. Um, but they'll probably sit here and tell you all about the story of how they found that at a Pier 1 in, in uh, uh, outside of Kansas City. And right. that's their amazing story. Yeah, um, yeah. I think agave spirits are such a rich world because for the most part, us gringos don't know a lot about it, right? Right. Most of the people, now you will see these agave groups where, where they will definitely fire on all cylinders and, and take you down about any element right. of the production. But most people here have a general understanding of what vodka is, have a general understanding of what gin is, although that's probably a, a pretty uh, a pretty shallow content for them, yeah, a right. pretty shallow subject for them. And they all feel very strongly about bourbon. We've all experienced those people that are like, oh no, bourbon's got to be made in Kentucky. Oh, I know. It's got to be made this way. And I'm like, well, I appreciate your insight. Like, I appreciate you saying that. Right. Um, how, do I, how do I teach you something without coming off it's like kind of sending, right? Yeah. Um, and in the world of agave spirits, it's, it's exactly that. Where unless you've actually spent time down there and gotten to see it being made, and gotten to actually put your hands in the soil, eat the agave, you're just never going to really, really understand. And even then, like you said, it's not like you meet one Mexican person and you understand all of Mexico. <laughs> that'd be an absurd concept anywhere. But you have to understand that the communities all around Mexico make up this beautiful tapestry of a people. Right. Um, and even that, like, not indicative of the experience by any means. It's just it's this amazingly rich tapestry of, of human beings and experiences uh, that, that I think makes agave spirit so yeah. wonderful being able to touch totally. them through this beautiful cultural product they have and yeah i mean just the other day on on one of those agave blogs someone was saying you know i don't understand what's happening you know why do people why do people drink cristalinos and and the, all these new products and there's uh, part of that i understand yeah as very much a purist myself like you know really they should only be drinking reposados because that's traditional I was like, yeah. well it just depends on when you when you define, you know, right, and where and where you and define exactly, yeah. So, at what point in the agave legacy do you see it being traditional versus uh, versus a new innovation? Because at some point, reposado was an innovation, of course, and yeho was an innovation. At some point, using one specific type of agave to make tequila was an innovation, right? Mm -hmm. Carlos was saying the other day he was talking about I think it was the fifties where we moved from. I believe it was six different types of agaves you could use in vino mezcal de tequila, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. So at some point, that was that was an innovation, and that was oh, new. Oh, right, right. Um, I just I think it's really interesting, and it really is a matter of when you when you set your sights, like what parameters do you want to put around this? Right, right. I think you're absolutely right. It's a zoom level, and I mean, <laughs> it, it really is like yeah. zoom out a bit, use a widescreen, yeah, widescreen lens or whatnot. But there's something that is. I hate to break it to everybody, but many people that make this stuff, they don't talk to each other. Yeah. They do it in a silo because it's so many villages. The people that distill in at Roberto, for, for, for instance, at Rancho Tepua, 
he distills differently because that's how they do it there. Mm-hmm. He probably doesn't even know people that distill in Guerrero. And not to speak for him, but it is a siloed industry, yeah. to be honest. And so to think you can have one unilateral platitude of how something should be done in Mexico is not only presumptuous, it's just fucking ignorant. It's incredibly ignorant, yeah. And I see it all the time. People bitching about the wrong thing. That's it. Their their Zoom is just, actually the subject of the scene is to your left if you would just zoom out. Yep. And then you can get more perspective. But this concept, and Smoke the Gave is a pitiful group. Honestly, it's it's turned into utter rubbish (laughs) and bottle posturing. And I won't have that attitude and the kind of stupid condescension in my group. But when it comes to online, that's a big channel for you as a brand and the brand itself have you set any real firm boundaries in the way that you have presence online and has that have to be modified i i will admit that is something that i am learning um because like you said online is it's a beast of a thing my hope is to be someone who is approachable much like the same way I want to come off in these seminars. Like my hope is to come off as approachable, mm-hmm. someone that can speak frankly about about what I do know, someone who is very apt to say, I don't know anything about that. Like I would love to hear from you on this. Yeah. Uh, but because those groups, again, rich tapestry of human beings, those groups all come from different perspectives. Yeah. And some of them do very much get into just you said bottle posturing is a good, yeah. a good phrase. It's my phrase. I invented yeah. that phrase. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I think I'm still trying to work out exactly what the correct tone for that is. Yeah. It's, it's hard, right? Especially, luckily with El Tesoro, it's been around for a very long time, right? Yeah. And it's been beloved by many people for a long time. There are people, now I've loved the brand for 10 or 12 years, right? But there are people who have been with it since day one that adore it and know everything about it. And sometimes these people will know, you know, more as much or more than Carlos about specific products, right? Yeah, They'll be true. able to reference for me, this particular batch was from this year on this day, this particular batch really had a great quality of mm-hmm. mint and green olive. Yeah, nice. Cool. That sounds great. I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I really don't. I, I care about the product, how it's made, the people who are making it, and I hope that you love the tequila you're drinking. Yeah. But one of the great things about the way that we make tequila, the way that other really great brands make it is without any additives to, to you know, make it conform to itself mm-hmm. batch after batch, it's going to be unique. And I want to spend more time enjoying it with you than I do thinking specifically about what this tequila tastes like. Right. Fucking feel the moment. You yeah. know, because I was thinking about it when you were talking about you're walking into a brand that's like apple pie. Yeah. You know what I mean? The Bill Murray is a tequila. You know, <laughs> beloved and despite his flaws acting or missteps in certain movies and stuff, it's still at the end of the day. It's a fucking amazing, amazing thing. And so, all right, so we're going to talk about tequila for a minute as we have been because we've been sipping on this part of these. So, which I, I tell you what, I had a, like, I don't recall the brand. Well, actually, I do recall the brand, but I won't say. Um, but I was at, last time I was at Las Almas Rotas before we met, met up last night. I sat and had dinner with this new tequila brand that was coming in. They're trying to get Chad to carry it, you know. And I tried the Blanco, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Tried the Repo, it's fine. And then their Añejo is all mostly French oak. Okay. And 
the guy who owned the company was there and i've got you know 10 plus years of distillation experience sure. and shit like i've had I, I wouldn't say i know what i'm talking about but i have some experience right and i told him i said the ratio of french oak is far too high on this i told him straight up i said you're, you're ruining this not ruining it I was, I was a little more subtle than that but he looked at me and he's like really and i'm like yeah you need to cut, cut back on the french oak and mm-hmm. go american oak more so when it's done right you don't notice it's done at all right mm-hmm. and that's what i love about the paradiso and carlos you know he regales us of tales of securing these cognac yeah cognac <laughs> casks right yep. cognac. Uh, but tell me a little bit more about the process here because this now i love the blanco and the tro- tropical elements my brother who's now a el tesoro fanboy went on and on about he drank several margaritas with el tesoro last night and was incredibly impressed he loves that stuff but for me where it all comes comes down to it, where it hits home, is the paradiso. So yeah. tell me a little bit about the process here. The the inclusion of French oak in paradiso was we talked about innovations, right? Yeah. That was a huge deal back when it came out. Now, talking about products that have their own huge fan base, paradiso is one of them, mm-hmm. right? People who love paradiso have historically, you know, followed every batch because it was something that came out. Rarely, right? Uh, currently, we come out once every five years with a new batch of Paradiso. Mm. Um, it's possible that uh, that might change. Still, same aging, but people really, really love it. And we love to give people what they love, you yeah, know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, luckily, with Beam Centauri being and owning Cavassier, I don't know if you know this, Cavassier has their own forest in which they... I did not know that. Cavassier has their own forest in which they grow the trees for their barrels. Uh-huh. Is that Are they in Jarnac? Is that what uh, yes, Cavassier yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and because they do that, and then Cooper, the barrels, obviously, you can imagine there's, there's a lot of attention paid to those barrels, and sure. la- they last for generations, right? So it's historically been very hard for us to get cognac barrels. I believe that now, with as much love as behind Paradiso, we'll see, um, hopefully, Cavassier coming around and doing more with them. Mm, okay, that's great to hear. But this, this bottle we're drinking here, the batch of Paradiso that you get now, what we see Paradiso is, is a, a five-year uh, ex-cognac barrel aged tequila. 100% cognac? 100% cognac. It mm-hmm. was the first tequila uh, ever aged in cognac barrels. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, bef- long before extra añejos were a thing. It was aged very, very long. The story, you know, if you want to talk about the founders of the brand that helped create this with Don Felipe, they created this amazing... Uh, a blend of flavors through uh, whether it's cognac barrels, American whiskey barrels, and that is one of those things that that people really, really love to talk about. Those first couple batches that mm-hmm. were kind of experiments trying to get the flavor right. Did, did they put those out? Those or are out. The and ones those, where I was trying to figure out. How yeah, to, yeah, those those are. They're the first couple batches. I think they're they're lots A and B. Oh, okay, got it. Um, those are the ones that if you're on the tequila groups on Facebook have a legitimate fan base like yeah. fanatical adores yeah. uh, of of those tequilas um i have have never gotten to taste those blended barrels oh or those first kind of as they were trying to figure out what parody so would be eventually mm-hmm. i can't really speak to him and it's also something that you know this is right around the time that carlos is is taking the distillery from his father is you know inheriting this this legacy of tequila so you know Carlos doesn't really speak about it with me either. It's, mm. you know, we enjoy a five-year ex-cognac barrel aged Paradiso, which is what all of those, those trials to blend together eventually became, and I love it that way. Yeah. But I 
you know, I, I wish I could speak more to the the foundation of what it was. And unfortunately, it's just uh, it's complicated. But I like how mysterious it is too. A little bit, you know, because where we're at with it now, it, it oh, it feels like it's it's God's boots on and knows what it is. Of course, you know, and some spirits it takes a bit for them to kind of find that place. But this, that's why I love it so much, is because it feels set in. It feels mature, mm-hmm. but not mature in the sense that I can taste the oak. It's like you're just beautifully lightly imparted, you know. But one of the things that I find really interesting, and I, I hear, I think Carlos said this was a, a factor of laziness, but one of the things I really, really love about the process from y'all that I want people to know, because as a distiller, I find it very interesting, is you make your ordinario, mm-hmm. and you actually water the ordinario down so that you can distill to proof. Yep. And that is crazy and tell me why you might do that i mean i think it's for subtlety of flavor but do you what do you think that kind of imparts well i would say so the spring that bubbles up next to lalitania where we get all the water that we use for fermentation and what they would get to to proof down whether it's you know tapatio villalobos ocho mm-hmm. uh is aggressively flavorful is it really it is Uh, i would love to get you down there to actually taste it it's one of my favorite things we'll obviously taste tequila off the still and then i just walk on over to the barrel room where the spring bubbles through the wall Uh and i'll pull some of the water off it is sanguine and irony wow i mean imagine the soil there right you've seen the soil that iron rich red clay soil so i imagine water that bubbles up through that brings a lot of those minerality characters in so i think that adding that in the ordinario and not later on allows us to get a lot of those mineral elements through distillation, oh. but not not in what might be an aggressive way by watering it down after the fact. I feel like if you added that water in to our tequila afterwards, it would ev- it would get even more mineral driven, even more. Um, I mean, richly flavorful, sure, but heavy but, maybe, but heavy maybe. Yeah. Um, so I think by doing that by watering it down first, we can preserve some of the agave in the character. Which, you know, being able, the fact that we distill with a bagasso, which is, you know, something that a few other producers do, mm-hmm. but very rare, obviously. That idea of, of um, distilling and almost like infusing the tequila with more agave th- through distillation, like they would do with gin. Yeah. Um, yeah the like, highlight is always going to be on, on Carlos's history as an agavero, an agave grower first. Uh, and I love that we can really show it off through, through that lens. Yeah, absolutely. So something that Rashad and I were talking about. Last night, don't and I am being mindful of your time. Don't worry, I'm not. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> but, here forever. Huh? Yeah, but the the concept because it never occurred to me to ask this question. And so when people make tequila con bagazo, that means the bagazo goes into the still for the ordinario run, right? Or does the bagazo go into the still for the spirit run? Shad said it was for ordinario, and I'm like, I think it's actually for spirit. But tell me because I haven't seen it. It could be for spirit. We do it for ordinario. Got it. Okay. So in the fermentation vat, um, and then also uh, in the ordinario. Okay. Got it. That, all right. So this makes perfect sense. So finally, well, Chad ended up being all right, but don't, <laughs> but don't you know? Don't, don't tell him because it's like it's such a flavoring element, you know. It, of course. That it, it really does give you more richness in the final product. Well, so I heard this mentioned a while back by you. I heard she me with this as well this past week and you know beam owns a lot of stuff centauri beam owns a lot of a lot of distilleries and you know i, I quite fancy scotch i know where we're going with this <laughs> yep so i hear 
And it's, I'll say it, you don't have to say it because I don't know if it's public knowledge yet. Although you know, a couple of folks know. But apparently, a few casks from Lafroig made their way to La Altena. Look, casks are round and they roll around. That's you know? right. So yeah. maybe a few casks from Lafroig have have rolled their way down to Mexico. Luckily, they float, so they just popped through the sea. You didn't lose them. Yeah, uh, didn't lose them. We are, like you said, very fortunate to have such amazing brands at Beam Suntory. Um, where the focus is all about legacy and about history, right? I mean, the legacy of Lafroig is fantastic. I'm very lucky to uh, be part of a group with with Rashid uh, called the Protectors of the Peat. I know that group. Great yeah. group. John Campbell's got to be part. Simon's got to be part of that group. Of course, yeah. yeah. Simon Simon leads that certainly. Uh, I guess I'm no longer a protector because now I I represent Tequila, <laughs> so maybe I'm a, a keeper of the Tahona. Yeah, there you um, go. Part of the Tahona tribe. But uh, while I was on the sales side at Beam, I got to be part of the Protectors of the Peat and advocate for for Lafroig, Bamor, Akintoshin, Glengiddy, all those beautiful scotches that we have. And it was an absolute joy. It was a joy to be actually be on Isla, hand-cut peat ourselves. Nice. I was baptized in the Kilbride, the, 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 the river that that, um, that streams into Lafroig that is their water source. Wow. Uh, it was magical. Now, having that come to join my absolute love at El Tesoro is really, really exciting. Uh, as L Rashidi is also a protector of the Pete, I look forward to, to once again donning my kilt with him, mm -hmm. hopefully uh, talking and, and getting to actually taste people on this new single barrel Añejo. Uh, it's not entirely aged in the Freud. It will be finished in the Freud casts. Uh -huh. uh, it's going to be very, very exciting. I have not yet tasted it. It's still, it's still aging now. But it is a release. It's a planned release it will now. Be a planned release, a limited run. It's a part of a series we're going to call Mundial, um, and it will be probably an annual series. Oh. In the same vein as I mean, Lafroig's Carches. Uh huh. Uh huh. Their their hospitality uh, bottling for the 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 Feyla. And it won't always be Lafroig. There's so much potential. But what there's it could so much be. potential in the Beam Suntory world. So yeah. that's probably all the things that I can say. That's enough for I me. I will say it will be very, very limited. We're talking, I think there's 25 casks. Okay, so that's more period. than I thought. Yeah, but still like... Very, very limited. So, I mean, that's not even one per state, obviously. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Oh, yeah. I just can't wait to see what that interplay is like, you know. So I got a couple questions left from you. You know, you're here in Dallas. Was this the first in-person thing you've done back? First market visit I've done. No kidding. It, yeah, very much so. The Cinco de Mayo, a few days ago, sure, was was almost like a coming out party, right? It was a chance to be amongst people. Now that I am vaccinated and I feel safe doing it, yeah. Beam has been incredible in supporting us to whatever degree we feel comfortable to do these jobs whether it's through Zoom or it's in person. So Cinco de Mayo was, was the starting line, a big old party, had a wonderful account. Um, and now I feel like it's all, it's all coming back together. It's weird how that feels, right? It is. We're both fully vaccinated. And I, it's hard for me to articulate the level of loss that we've all experienced in some sense loss of normalcy, loss mm -hmm. of social life, loss of love, potentially. And I don't know if it's a defense mechanism, but I've removed that year from my mind now. 
Not intentionally. But how, how are you? Is it still way heavy on you? I know the death toll, it, it's, it's almost like something I don't want to ignore and I want to acknowledge, but I can't let it bear down on me. Agreed. The, the metaphor that I would use is you don't think about the middle of the drive. <laughs> right if you're on if you're you're just going from point a to point b you pass the same shops every time yeah you don't necessarily think about passing the baskin robbins on the way right there is no way to understate you know obviously the impact of covid there's no way to understate the the death toll i personally have been very very lucky and that all of the people most of the people there obviously have been a couple but all of my very very close friends and family have been safe and healthy throughout the course of COVID. That's great. Mine too, for the most part. Which is wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. Um, but I understand what you're saying and that you've kind of just let it slip away. Like, what do you do? You know? Well, yeah. I mean, what are you, what are you going to dwell on how many times you watched T Ted Lasso? Which is it, like... Now, I wouldn't... I'd dwell on that because that's a great kind of true. Show. I've watched it four times. I only I only started watching it like a month and a half ago. I, it's, it's beautiful. Quickly became my favorite show. Yeah. But I mean, talk about someone who leads with like leads with love, leads with caring for others, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's you know let let that water slide off the duck's back and and get back on the horse. How many? God, how many uh, things can I say? Yeah, but I but I, I absolutely get when I, yeah. I I see. I don't think the mustache happened after Ted Lasso. I think it was a coincidence. The but. mustache started off as a joke, as I think most mustaches do. Certainly. Adam Harris shaved his mustache. Oh yeah. <laughs> Adam Harris, as long as I knew him, had a mustache. And I said, look, I moved to Texas. I'm an ambassador. I get to, I get to, you know, live and rub elbows with Adam all the time. But someone in Texas has to have a mustache. Just the way it's got to be. <laughs> so it started off as a joke. Uh, and it, I don't know. I, I keep trying to shave it off. And my, my razor just doesn't work around my upper lip. It just, it, it keeps shying away. I mean, I understand that. <laughs> I can't shave my face apparently at all. It just keeps growing. <laughs> I try to, you know, make some semblance of a shape of it. But I don't know what I'm feeding it, but it keeps growing. So <laughs> I have to deal with that. Well, so I'm a, you know, we're sipping this part of these. So there's a question I ask everybody and I'm, I'm so glad to ask it in person because it's got more gravitas, I think, you know, and we can use our voices with the mics come in close and all that. You know, I, Zoom takes that completely away from you. The ability to have sure. dramatic. To, to play effect. with the audio elements. Yeah, dude. I hate that shit. That's why it's, you know, it's nice to be back making love to the microphone. But so let's say you're, you're anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter. But, but you're sipping Paradiso and you can have a drink, a chat with any actor, actress, alive or dead, who might you like to sit and wax poetic with? Mm. We're specifically keeping this in the range of actors and actresses. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's just because sometimes I got to do that or else it just gets real out there, of which course. is fine too. But sure, if there's sure, anybody sure. that comes to mind, you tell me. But I, I just like acting so much. I, I it, would be, it would be Bill Murray or Tom Hanks. Ah, yeah. Be one of those people. Um, there's a wonderful story. A neighbor of mine, when she turned 21, happened to go to a bar in LA. Tom Hanks happened to be there. Oh, wow. And he just, out of the kindness of his heart, bought drinks for her on her 21st birthday and all of her friends. That's so nice. I don't know if anyone's got a I met Tom Hanks and he was a dick story. I don't think they exist. Yeah, I don't think so. I would love, though, to sit with him and chat with him, mostly because I don't think we'd have to talk about anything. Like, we could just, I think you could sit and talk, yeah, like we did before. Point out the things in the room. She'd be like, hey, that kind of looks like the Captain America shield. And be like, yeah, it does. Yeah. You know, I had this story once Once upon a time. I was here. Like, I, 
I bet that he could tell you stories about everything, and I'd want to see his typewriter collection. Dude, that'd that's, be really rad. It's incredible. Yeah. Any favorite films from him? Uh, There's so many I know, but yeah, yeah, there are. The playfulness of of Tom Hanks and Big oh, man. was important. To well, me. that broke his career, I think. Well, it certainly did. Yeah. It certainly did. You know, it's uh, uh, so it it might be it might be a little cliche to say, but there is something about his playfulness in that. Actually, I watched, and I forget the name of the movie, the one where he was stuck in the airport. Oh, The Terminal. The Terminal. Great movie. Thank you. Yeah. Great movie. Spielberg. Happened to be on TV the other day. Uh, I watched it while I was I was cooking for a long time and watched it. And just like, he just has a way to bring such a charm and charisma to his roles. Without even trying. Without even trying. Yeah. And it's a matter of, I think that that is the person he is. Mm-hmm. And I believe that no matter who he plays, you care about that because I think you care about who Tom Hanks is as a person. Right. I think that's lovely. Dude, Officer or Detective Hanratty from Catch Me If You Can. Mm, mm-hmm, Best mm-hmm, cat, mm-hmm. cat and mouse movie. And I've seen classic cinema, but that's still my favorite cat yeah. and mouse movie of all time. Well, all right. So I got one last bit for you. You know, you're here in Dallas doing the first in-market visit, a sign of hope, an emblem of change, whatever kind of <laughs> stupid... <laughs> trite phrase you want to want to call it but what's next are you going to do because te- you are regional you're just texas i th- I always feel like you're bigger than texas Is i've gained a few pounds throughout COVID, but i'm not sure i'm <laughs> not quite literally <laughs> um so my territory i like to say it's colorado to kentucky there we go perfect um i i don't actually get to spend time in kentucky uh carla verenzuela who is our absolutely amazing ambassador on the east coast handles kentucky but if if you sell tequila between Denver to the Kentucky border, I I, I probably am your guy. That's great. Love. Uh, I got to spend a little bit of time in Indiana recently, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, there are many many visits to come. There is that element of we have to see what that particular market's doing. Right, Chicago is still for the most part closed down, right. or at least coming out of it in a way. So it's not right to go there quite yet. I will be there certainly by the end of the year, hopefully at least two or three times. Mm-hmm. I sp- should spend a good deal of time in Colorado. I have a particular adoration for for Denver. My parents live in Fort Collins, so I always oh, try nice. and tag on a little time with my parents. Uh, my wonderful, beloved mother, who his birthday is in just a few days, um, she was expressing to me that she missed me. Understood. And like, I mean, I know every everyone's mom says that. When mom says she misses you, you just... You get there. You find right. a way. You find a way to be with your mom. Because they, at least with my mom, until she really, really misses me, she always misses me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, right? But until she 100%. says it, hundred percent. Oh, okay. This is more urgent than maybe I thought before. Yep. Exactly. That's a good. That's a good way to put it. She always misses me until she tells me she misses. Me. <laughs> then it's and then it's. Oh shit! I better get up there. All right. All right. <laughs> which, which that's the second leg of this travel for me. Go visit oh, my folks. Yes, yeah, so I'm gonna go visit them. It's been quite a while, you know. But they're all vaccinated and stuff, and it, it just. You what you what kind of word might you describe that illustrates how maybe things are returning to a better and a more stable, healthy place? What kind of word would I use? What word yeah. would I use? Oh gosh. I know dead air on a podcast isn't very exciting, but I'm really trying to think. I, I love that question. And there I mean there's there's the cliche return to normalcy, but I don't yeah. think that's what it is. Because I think you know what? I think it's more like a reawakening. Yeah. Because, like you said, we a lot of people are probably going to just cut 
the year 2020 out of their lives. Sure. Dramatic things happened. Everything, I mean, not just because of COVID, but things in people's lives, personal relationships, you know, certainly suffered through being stuck in a small space together for a long time. Yeah. Um, obviously, all the, the social justice elements that are, that are not that they weren't there before, but are coming to light right. and are, are getting the attention they deserve. I think that as people come back into the world, they're probably looking at it from a very different perspective. Not just right. how do I be amongst humans again, but how do I be there for humans? Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I like the, the uh, symbolism of waking up, getting out of the slumber that you've been in, the, the silo that you've been in, the personal silo or social silo, and, and realizing that like you have to be here for the world. You have to be here for your community and the broader communities that you're not part of. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I dare I say I feel hopeful that people might be changed for the better. Superman's a symbol of hope. That's all gonna, I'm just it's gonna true. keep coming back to the Superman complex because I love that idea. <laughs> Terrible in practice, but good on paper, I think. <laughs> but man, Tyler, it's, it's been great getting to chat in this way. And I will always remember this moment because we finally are back to doing things together in person. Agreed. And there's something incredibly poetic about that in the face of one fucking year. Yeah. It's been difficult. But safe travels to you and I'll talk to you soon, yeah? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is fantastic. My pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. So there we have it, Tyler J. Wang from Eltasor, learning more about the man himself, the brand, learning more about Carlos Camarena. Very rich history at La Atenia, you know, great tequila being made there, and I can't wait to see what Tyler's up to next. You know, it sounds like he's just getting finally back into the swing of things with travel as a brand ambassador, and you know, we're going to have more late nights in Houston, I suspect. And also, when you head back to Austin, Tyler, we're going to make sure we do this thing right. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how obsessed you are with these dumb dating shows on Hulu, or if you're thinking, I don't know if I've got enough time today to do all the things, please keep dancing. <laughs>